Into every generation, there is a chosen one. Uh, excuse me, two. One girl in all the world. Two, two girls? Who is this guy? She is... This might have been a... Big Miss Stake. Stake. S-T-A-K-E. Like what you kill a vampire with. A Buffy podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Big Miss Steak. It's a Buffy podcast, and this is actually the second time we're recording this episode because a demon got loose in our internets. That is a true story. Yes, yes, we love to be on theme. Oh, hi everybody. Uh, good morning, afternoon, night, whenever. It's a DT, and um, we are here because a demon came to disrupt our recording. So to take extra precaution, I'm currently camped out in my childhood (laughs) closet where there are relics of my misspent youth adrift, and uh, it's unsettling. Unsettling, but hopefully those tokens have some sort of like protective power to keep young mollusk away from you yes yes especially the towels the talisman i'm wearing not wearing excuse me the talisman i'm clutching right now many moons ago when we were younger and had fewer wrinkles unlike the person i'm holding (laughs) melissa gave me a paul hollywood decorative pillow because it's both very on brand for me and also a deep own dd once (laughs) told me that paul hollywood is what guy fieri would look like if he was classy and I have not been able to unsee it. <laughs> if only, if if only Guy Fieri could just let those individual peaks down, let it all become one cascading, beautiful forest of white. If you had to choose, mm-hmm. would you choose Paul Hollywood or Guy Fieri? But before you answer, remember that <laughs> Guy Fieri is the mayor of Flavortown and probably wields a lot of power and influence. You know, I think that after receiving the degree I have, which has rendered itself relatively useless, and the summer, you know, municipal government has a lot of power. And Mm -hmm. it is honestly the biggest influence in how you live your life day to day. So yeah, I would love to be Mrs. Mayor. Yeah, you could live deliciously. (laughs) Would that like to live (laughs) deliciously? Yes. Yes, I would. But however... Paul has access to unlimited bread, whereas the food that Guy Fieri consumes, and I guess it's food only legally, because (laughs) some of the things he consumes are so horrific. I I feel like Paul Hollywood is a bread alchemist, Mm -hmm. and Guy Fieri is a donkey sauce alchemist. (laughs) Is that fair? But I've also read that Guy Fieri is like a really nice person. Yeah, I've actually read that as well. I feel like, you know, Mary folks everywhere tell us that beauty fades, but compatibility is what really gets you out of bed every day. So while Paul Hollywood's eyes may fade from piercing blue to periwinkle blue, Guy's love will keep me warm. Mm -hmm. Like the flames on his car. (laughs) Yes. And literally all of his shirts. (laughs) Y'all didn't know that this was a Paul Hollywood slash Guy Fieri podcast. We pivoted. Yeah. Uh, Starting next episode. This is the last episode we're doing on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Just to really stick it to that demon. And then it's all bread from here on out. (laughs) Wow. But you know, if it was any episode for us to be attacked by a demon, I'm glad it was this one for symmetry. Yes. So we're talking about iRobot You Jane this week. It's very on theme. The episode summary is thus. Buffy and Giles face a demon spirit who has been trapped since the Dark Ages and is unleashed into cyberspace. Meanwhile, Willow has fallen for a cyber bow whom she met online, and Xander and Buffy are wary of who this anonymous wooer may turn out to be. Aditi, what did you think of this episode? I really liked it. I thought it was a very good episode and I feel that it picked up on a lot of the themes that were happening in the late 90s early 2000s like like an entry-level matrix like be afraid be afraid but like only a little be afraid and only little I love Lady Lady Carpenter I genuinely still can't remember her name did you call her Lady Carpenter I did (laughs) I don't don't remember her name um the Technopagan what's her name Jenny Calendar. Oh, Liz. Liz Calendar. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I refuse to learn her first name. It's a it's it's a power move I learned from a one Jenna Maroney who said that in order to vanquish your enemies, you should never learn their names. Is is Miss Calendar your enemy? No, I'm just antagonistic to all white people initially. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, so the reason we're calling her Liz is because Aditi sent me a text <laughs> message. We'll put a screenshot of it up on our Instagram just so y'all can see. But basically, she said. I can't wait to hear what you think of the Rupert slash Liz dynamic. And and fans, I was very lost. Yeah, I mean, I also called Willow Summer. So like, again, track record, not great. But intentions are good. Intentions are good. I, I love the episode. I thought it was really fun. And I thought it did a lot. And it also gave some spice for our girl Willow to shine. And I thought that was great. So I agree with you that this does capture like a fear that's very specific to the late 90s, early 2000s, which was like, is technology going to replace book? Question mark. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think Giles feels that fear very acutely. And now, of course, we know that technology did not replace book. But uh, that battle was really being fought in earnest, I feel like, for a a brief point in time in my childhood. I'm really excited to hear your opinions on this because as you mentioned before, you're in library science school and I think that the tension between technology and what was the traditional form of of communication of ideas books for like the past 500 years is super interesting and I also think that the tension that the uh, show has about like not trusting someone that you can't see was like you know ingrained to us as children and now so many people have like really fulfilling relationships with people they meet on the internet not just like romantically but also like socially people meet people you know now we're afraid that our parents generation is like learning to drink bleach on the internet and so the roles have reversed yeah like when i was little i remember i heard this urban legend about a um about a this family and they had a knock on the door and they opened it up and it was a police officer and they were like, oh, no, officer, what's wrong? And he said, this is all the information I know about your child because she's been on chat rooms. Mm-hmm. And isn't it lucky that I'm a police officer? <laughs> Wouldn't it be bad if uh, if like a predator showed up at your door? Mm-hmm. And so like that was a, a big like after school special teaching moment, I guess. We are children of the Oprah generation, and so we definitely got the stranger danger thing embedded into our brains. I mean, probably in the 80s, it was much more fear of actual physical stranger danger, but then in the 90s and early 2000s, it was definitely like, you're going to meet an online person. I mean, the entire basis of To Catch a Predator is online, right? Or or like the backwards To Catch a Predator story that I just told, where a cop goes <laughs> to children's houses. <laughs> And I think also, like, during this time, online dating was kind of like a taboo thing. And it was like, you know, the only reason that you would date online is if you couldn't find someone in real life, which everyone should be able to do. And so there's a lot of those attitudes in... um, in this episode that I forgot were so prevalent and so strong. I would even say that they were pretty prevalent until probably like, I mean, even like 10, 15, 15 years ago. I mean, I think that it was still relatively taboo, but in such a short time, the landscape around like social behavior has changed so much. And I think that the pandemic has definitely reinforced people's aversion to talk to strangers. And definitely has like a lot of the stigma around using that platform or that medium to communicate with people you're interested in has completely changed. And so, yeah, it's like very interesting to see in 23 years how quickly the mores have changed. I think now my story is weirder. And my story is I met my significant other when I was blackout drunk outside of a karaoke bar. Mm -hmm. So. (laughs) Ah, young love. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, yeah, I I really like the episode. What did, you, what did you think of the episode? I really enjoy this episode. The the fandom I think does not appreciate it. They think it's pretty cheesy and the technology stuff is outdated and blah blah blah. Which like yes, if you look at the actual computers and the programs that they're using, it is outdated. But catfishing is an eternal story that never gets old. And I don't know. I just I think the demon in this episode looks great i think the i don't know if i would date him like willow does 
But I think his his original iteration when he's in Italy and he's um they show his hand and the hand is really well done and the way his mask moves and his little twirly twirly horns. <laughs> I enjoy him. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, Mollusk is a great one-off <laughs> villain. I don't care to learn his name either. <laughs> Apologies to the fans, but as a nascent fan, I can't believe that this episode is not as is not as liked, and yet people like Teacher's Pet. That shit is whack. I don't think people like Teacher's Pet either. Oh. Okay, I have I have <laughs> to be uh, fair, <laughs> hoisted by my own petard. Uh, oh well. <laughs> Fun fact about Mollusk, whose name you refuse to learn, mm-hmm. his actual name is Moloch. What? M-O-L-O-C-H. Uh, that is the name of the demon that has been tormenting us for two fucking weeks. <laughs> <sighs> We've been through so much. Yeah. Hopefully this will uh, excommunicate him from our technology setup. We need an exorcism. Yeah, we need a circle of a circle of Kalos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Moloch is a traditional Hebrew name for demons, and it was picked as an Easter egg reference to computer programmers because in C-based languages, there is a function named malloc, M-A-L-L-O-C, short for memory allocate. And because the episode makes many references to computers, they made a little pun. He's just very cute. He's cute with his curly horns and his pun name. I mean, I feel like we should start with is it cute then? Is it cute? Y'all, I have to be honest with you. I thought that the demon's personality, obviously, not cute. Um, The physical iterations, initially, I did not think were cute. Melissa stands alone on the curly cute. But I thought that the Transformer iteration, the last one, was kind of cute. Because robots are cute? Yeah. Humanoid robots? Like little little Transformer babies. I I thought it was pretty cute. I will tell you, though, catfishing is not cute. It's never cute. But yeah, I think that for me, personality not cute, physicality sometimes cute when it was robotic. All right. I think I'm not sure if I would go so far as to say he was cute in the beginning. I think he was well made. Mm. I, I I'm not really drawn to the to the the robot version, his Michael Bay version, but <laughs> Bay B A E. That's for you. <laughs> <laughs> I do think personality wise. Well, I was not under his thrall. I have to admit, he he catfishes Carlo, he catfishes Willow, he catfishes Fritz, and and uh, other Fritz, less evil Fritz. Uh, Fritz two point Uh, hold on, Dave, 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 yes, Dave. He catfishes Dave, and also like you hear reports coming in through the radio and everything that he is. Messing with everyone all around the world. And while I personally did not find him attractive, I have to admit that literally everyone on Earth seemed to. He's like Mr. 305. He's just Mr. Worldwide. Mm-hmm. He is everywhere. He must be slanging some metaphorical pipe because people mm-hmm. were really into him. Imagine sending out a dick pic to everyone on <laughs> Earth and everyone on Earth was like, like, smash that like button. Subscribed. <laughs> Please, sir, I want some more. They would ruin their life for Moloch. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> Many did. Many did. Should we include the rude boys in our analysis of Is It Cute? Ugh, I guess. Let's talk about the rude boys. <laughs> I'm going to say hard pass on Fritz, the proto-Kyle. Absolutely not. The smart Kyle. The smart Kyle. No. Yeah. I'm going to say no to physicality, no to personality. Dave again, had an evolution. He went from no on both ends to helpful and therefore cute. So Dave is played by the actor Chad Lindbergh, and he went on to play a character in another uh, mystical TV show called Supernatural. Mm, Yes. He plays Ash. I've never watched Supernatural, so I am not too sure who that is, but apparently he's computery in that show too. So he has a brand. Good for him. So I don't think he's cute no. in in any respect, but I do respect that he seems to have picked a lane to excel in. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
I think that we can say that in general, the villains are not cute, but there's just something about that Moloch that people just can't deny. Yeah, I mean, Fitz was carving an M into his <laughs> arm, like Marky Mark in fear, <laughs> which after like, I'm assuming one or two dates, because it hasn't been very long yeah. since he has come in contact with Mollusk. And while I do respect the devotion and, <laughs> and like the passion, that's uh-huh. maybe a little cute. But I do think getting like a stick and poke tattoo so early in the relationship is a bit much. It's a bit needy. I will say, however, thank God that his reign of terror was in 1997 and not in 2020, because mm-hmm. right now people are so lonely and so horned up that this man could have could have won the election. Imagine the ticks he could have talked. Oh. The, the fleets. Thank God. Thank God we were spared that. Shall we discuss the fashion? Slay or nay. All right. What do you think of Buffy's outfits this episode? You know, as as always, I mostly loved it. All of the fashion that she's wearing, I think we're watching it at a really good time because if we watched this this like maybe like 10 years ago, this wouldn't have felt as cool. And since this fashion is kind of making a turnaround, I think that we're like, oh, that's so chic. Like, I feel like Bella Hadid would wear this. I loved the pink mod dress, obviously. The black skirt and shirt that she wears when she's like, computer boys, help me. Love that. Oh, I thought that was a blue velvet mini dress. Is that a different thing? No, you're right. My eyes are bad. <laughs> it's fine. That I have is Buffy's ultimate slay of the episode. It was very good. It was yeah. very good. I would wear it now. I loved her sleuthing ensemble. That's the same jacket that she wears in um in the hyena episode that I hated in that iteration. But the sleuthing outfit is cute. Context is key, folks. Context is key. The only thing that I was like, eh, is the blue tank was fine, but like it was a very simple outfit. It could do with like a butterfly clip or, you know, a piece of flair that she is wont to have. She has like this one episode, one scene where she's just wearing a white tank top. It was fine. I will say yes, while I love the ultimate sleigh of yours, I also, as always, love the leopard print jacket. Yeah, the leopard print jacket, always a sleigh. Oh, what what were your thoughts on Bufferina? They're they're going through some things with her hair, I feel like. (laughs) But I'm glad that instead of this proto-beehive Karen thing they've Mm -hmm. been doing, they are putting her in a sort of high ponytail now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. while I don't necessarily condone this either, I do think it's a step in the right direction. I respect that. I I think that overall, you know, we're all going through stuff, but overall it was this (laughs) overall slay. Yeah. Let's talk about Willow. I really liked Willow's big purple sweater with the black and yellow skirt and the tights. I I would wear that. I would wear that now, which I never say about Miss Willow because I'm mostly trying to run away from the memories that it provokes. Mm -hmm. But I mean, look at her. She's carrying a, a lot of weight in this episode. She really is. And I'm glad that she had this moment. She's great. She can do no wrong. And in the opposite vein of all of those sentiments, Xander. Ah, Xander. What did you think? Uh, that porn star shirt, I, I hated it. I hated it. So I was not aware until doing research because I was also uh, just floored by a teenager wearing a shirt that said porn star to his high school. Apparently porn star was a brand that was really big in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it it's like a skater brand. So maybe kind of like Vans now. And they are no longer in business. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and a vintage porn star shirt sells for around $100 now. Vintage porn star. <laughs> yeah, but look, all of this was filler for the real meat, the real sartorial meat of the episode, which is Miss Jenny Calendar. Miss Jenny Calendar, what did you think of her? I loved it. You did. I love her. She's a real <laughs> devil make hairstyle. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I loved mm-hmm. her. I loved the crimped hair. I loved that she looks like what I thought I would dress like in my 30s instead of what I wear now. She has a real short skirt, long jacket kind of style. So here's what I have. I predict we will both love Miss Calendar's outfit because she is a perfect gender-swapped hybrid of Angel and Xander. <laughs> Because she has a cool leather jacket, 
<laughs> and also these like cursed chaotic sex clown button downs that my boy Xander <laughs> loves to wear. But I think it's a perfect marriage. Like when Jack Donaghy talks about an Oreo McFlurry. <laughs> you think they would fight each other, but they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, well, now that you said that, wow, oof. I, I still love her, which is a true testament to Miss mm-hmm. Liz Carpenter. Miss <laughs> Liz Carpenter. <laughs> I love Jenny. I Does she come back? She has a story arc. Okay, good. And actually, it's interesting that you can't remember her name because... Her name was originally, instead of Jenny Callender, Nikki Callender, Mm. but they had to change it because the actor who plays Xander, his name is Nicholas, but he goes by Nikki, so it caused a lot of confusion on set. So now she's Jenny, or Liz, if you're you. There you go. Oh, great. I'm excited to see her come back. I'm excited to see what she does, because I really enjoyed the banter that she had with our friend Rupert. Yeah, she's great. So let let me tell you a little bit about the love of my life, Jenny Callender, or the actress who plays her, who is the true love of my life, because her story just really moves me. Her name is Robia Scott nay la mort for most of her life she was robia la mort and she has been a dancer for most of her life not an actress i'm gonna set the scene the year 1983 the movie flash dance you're inspired already of course you go to a school for the arts and major in dance And it drives you to begin working as a backup dancer in music videos. And you just get to be an amazing video girl. And you're in over 30 music videos. And then you join a six-dancer troupe to tour with the Pet Shot Boys. And then, and (laughs) then, you, you being Robia Lamort in this thought exercise, (laughs) you are selected by Prince. What? By Prince to be one of two lead dancers for the music video for Cream, a single from his 1991 album, Diamonds and Pearls. Liz Carpenter subsequently appeared <laughs> in the videos for Cream, Get Off, Strollin, and the album's title track, Diamonds and Pearls. Man, Prince is so sexual. Like, I can't believe I let myself forget this. And every time I'm like, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's, what's, Funny, now now that Prince has uh, transcended this mortal realm, mm-hmm. all of his videos are available on YouTube and stuff. So you can just go pull up a video at will of Miss Calendar doing extremely sexual dances with Prince. Man, I, 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 hope, I hope that they had a love affair. How could you not? I just imagine that is <laughs> <laughs> like Prince is your payment. Yeah. <laughs> He's like all of the sexual appeal of Moloch, but none of the chaos. Sure. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Prince went into a, a little bit of a moody phase when they were touring Europe, and he temporarily refused to do any public speaking. So Miss Callender and her dance partner served as his spokesperson and conducted the main promotional efforts for Diamonds and Pearls on their Europe tour. And then, much like Moody Little Prince, Lamort became a born-again Christian after a highway encounter with a Christian biker gang while she was praying for a sign from God. Wow. Wow. You, that is unambiguous. I, I have never heard of a Christian biker gang. Is this a common thing? Have you ever heard of it? I haven't. Let us know if y'all have because we did not have them. Although it seems like Texas would be the place you would have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have cowboy churches, so. Cowboy churches, snake churches. See you at the pole. That's always great. So the uh, the Heaven's Angels came and... <laughs> what if the Hell's Angels are a Christian biker gang? Are they Christian? Should we look this up? Hang on, y'all. <laughs> Bikers for Christ, Last Disciples, Soldiers for Jesus, Chariots of Light, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Sons of God Motorcycle Club, mm-hmm. Bikers for Jesus. But there's no Heaven's Angels? No. Warriors mm. of the Cross, another good one. <gasps> oh, this is the best one. Tell me. Cycle Disciples. Wow. Sick. Sick. I'm going to join. I'm born again. <laughs> wow. I mean, if that, if anything's going to get me back into organized religion, it's a Christian biker gang. Yeah. Anyway, so so back to Liz Carpenter. She met the Christian biker gang, became born again, 
And, and she now spends most of her time decrying the sort of mysticism that Buffy promotes and being very pro-Christian, anti-Wicca stuff. Wow. So very anti-techno-pagan now. Wow. What a journey from Footloose to to Jesus. Well, that's not that big of a journey, but yeah. It wasn't Footloose. Footloose actually takes place in Texas, fun fact. It does. A Beaumont, Texas movie. Oh, you're right. The male voice of our pod is from Beaumont, Texas, and I feel like watching the movie Footloose will help you understand him a little bit. Yes, it's where he developed his gravitas. Flashdance was the movie that, ah, that inspired her. From Flashdance to Jesus. <laughs> and she made a pit stop along the way in Earth Girls Are Easy as an uncredited backup dancer in the song I'm a Blonde. Liz, if you're listening, we love you. Come on the pod. We love you. Come on the pod. And also, I, I looked up technopagans. Technopagans are real or real enough to have a Wikipedia article. Technopaganism uses modern technology or music within neopaganism and magical ritual. This can include the substitution of technology for traditional magical tools, such as using their oven for a hearth, keeping mm. a disc of shadows, or probably a drive of shadows now instead of a book of shadows, and using a laser pointer as a wand. Oh, that's very creative and, and keeping up with the times. Innovative. Disrupting paganism. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking me on this journey of Miss Lamort. On that note, shall we discuss the ep? I have a quick musical segment. Band candy. Although we did not go to the bronze in this episode, I wanted to discuss the composer for Buffy season one, whose name is Walter Murphy. He went on to compose for a lot of Seth MacFarlane shows, including Family Guy, American Dad, and The Cleveland Show. But more importantly, he composed a fifth of Beethoven, a disco version of Beethoven's fifth. <laughs> oh my god. And it was a number one Billboard Hot 100 hit in 1976, during the reign of disco. During the reign of disco. And now, a word from our sponsor. Is the malicious phantom taking up all your hard drive space with Kevin James nudes? Does the pesky poltergeist keep watching XXX parodies of Brendan Fraser classics on your work laptop? Are you sick and tired of performing exorcisms upon your computer, hoping this is a spell that will finally banish the demonic spirits that lurk within? Well, look no further than Creep Squad, your one-stop solution for possessed electronics. Our stylish group of technopagans will work tirelessly to ensure your electronics are bug, virus, and ghoul-free. Mention Big Mistake to get 15% off your first texorcism. Creepscot. Look at porn when you want, and only when you want. Okay, let's, let's begin. We begin. The scene, Ye Old Italy. Yes, Melissa. So for those of y'all who don't know, Melissa speaks Italian. I don't speak Italian. <laughs> um... <laughs> I have been trying to speak Italian for many years now and failing. However, I did understand the Italian well enough to know that Mollusk's accent was not good. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, the accent was not good, so I'm glad that we got there. Also, we, I should look up if Cortana is a real place because I don't want to offend any potential fans from, who have Italian descent or in Italy. We looked this up before, and then oh, no. Mollusk took it from us. <laughs> Honestly, this episode has a real Groundhog's Day feel since we've done it before, which really adds to the 2020 of it all. We're doing great. Paul's pulling us through this. Paul Hollywood. <laughs> Cortana is a real place. Mm. There's a place called Cortana Mall in Baton Rouge, oh, Louisiana. Look who speaks French as well as Italian. Oui. <laughs> A regular polyglot. Un, deux, trois, quatre. You know what this reminds me of? Do you remember in um, Broad City when Alana does like all of her uh, European yes. accents? And then Abby's like, do a Chinese one. And Alana's like, that's racist. Racist. I'm sorry, French people. And also um, to the Irish for last time. And preemptively to the Italians as well. <laughs> Mi dispiace. 
My god, it sounds like I'm in Olive Garden. Melissa does love Italian culture, though, because she loves Jersey Shore. (laughs) I do. (laughs) I just, it's so real, you know? (laughs) I did go to Italy one time, and I studied, I did Duolingo for, like, literally a year before I went to Italy, and uh, everyone told me, like, if you just make an effort, the people will appreciate it and and they'll be really happy that you're trying. Not true. Not true. I should have made no effort because <laughs> every time I tried to speak in Italian, everybody got super pissed off and impatient because I was butchering their language. And they told me in English, they would interrupt me and be like, please stop. We don't have time for this. <laughs> So, yeah, so we start the episode, and I was like, oh, my goodness, what is happening? And then I was like, damn, he killed Carlo. Justice for Carlo. Justice for Carlo. It was like he did that thing where he put his beautiful emerald green hand with his (laughs) well-manicured claws over (laughs) Carlo's head, and he just did a little... Yeah, it was very elegant. I mean, you may not like his actions, but you can't really argue with the tactics. Like, it's very elegant. He he is super efficient because he killed Carlo in, like, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. and then he took over and catfished everyone in the entire world at the same time. <laughs> Who runs the world? Mollusk. <laughs> yeah, so we see that, but then... We see him getting stored in the book, very much like Hocus Pocus. He was bound in the book, and then from the book's point of view, you see the monk placing it into the box, and you see a lid covering the box and making the camera go dark, and then Buffy removes the lid, so the shot doesn't change, but you're instantly transported to the Sunnydale Library, present day. Very clever. Very clever. I loved it. And then we immediately start seeing our dad, Rupert, our sexy dad. (laughs) Our Dilf. (laughs) Our Dilf Rupert and maybe our new mommy fighting with some tension underneath. Normally I hate it when mom and dad fight, but they can keep going. Yes, yes. I was rem- I was reminiscing about my technology t- uh, teacher in high school. She was definitely not this charming or good looking. I just remember a lot of fixation on not wasting paper, which now in hindsight, good for her, but really didn't learn a whole lot after that. <laughs> my technology teacher, I felt so bad. He was going through some stuff. <laughs> like... <laughs> And they they wouldn't give him any time off. So he was like suffering intense PTSD. Oh my god. And so he was just like, no one talk to me. Play your little computer games. Talk about your Blink-182. Wow. (laughs) And now I type like 150 words per minute. So good job. Do you think this podcast is just for us to work out the repressed (laughs) memories of public school education from Texas? Oh my god, Yes. (laughs) Go listen to your Blink 182s. Whew! What an insult. Do you think he was 23 when it happened? Yeah, but he still acts like he's in freshman year. <laughs> what the hell's PTSD? <laughs> Man, I forgot about that guy. I hope he's doing okay. We're rooting for you, bud. So uh, we see them having their banter. Very good box versus good book. I liked it. Then we meet Fritz, which I was not interested in. Okay, I wrote down what Fritz says because it is just an incredible monologue. He says, (laughs) and he's also like really angry about it. Just like mentioning a book has triggered him and he is ready (laughs) to fight for like the bits and the bites and what have you. Mm -hmm. The zeros, the ones. He stands up dramatically and he says, The printed page is obsolete. Information isn't bound up anymore. It's an entity. The only reality is virtual. If you're not jacked in, you're not alive. Jacked in. Okay. Is that the term that we chose as a society? Yeah, I'm jacked in right now. Jacked in, jacked out, jacked left, right, up, down. Mm -hmm. And then we soon discover pretty early in the episode that Moloch is in the computer. Pretty quickly we see our girl beginning to have a little bit of a chat with someone we don't know. A stranger. Maybe a stranger from a different time. A different land. A different color palette. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, so she begins to get catfished by this uh, smooth, sweet-talking demon. So in the beginning, when they're scanning books in the library, we see Willow reach out to Xander for company as she finishes up the last couple of books. And Xander is like, no, bye. Your company is not worth this to me. And it sucks. I It made me very sad for her. It was a stake through my heart. Oh, I had some stakes through my heart in this episode, too. Uh, we'll get to it later on, but our girls having tension did not love. So Willow starts getting catfished by the demon loose on the internet. <laughs> Buffy meets her, and they're talking over by her locker, and Willow opens her locker up, and she has pictures inside it, and one of the pictures is of Giles. Yeah. Sweet dad. Sweet dad. She's just great. Willow deserves this earth. And yet, what does she get? A demon. A literal demon who is also using her. Yeah, and Xander, who was rude. Good lord, betwixt a demon and a rude boy. <laughs> yeah, so we see that, and then uh, we see that Fritz is not just, you know, a devotee of the internet culture, but is also going to get quite literally incepted by Malcolm. So... I really wish they would have gone deeper into what Malcolm could provide for Fritz to make him just fall so head over heels so quickly. I I, I think we all know. I don't know. Pornography. <laughs> oh, they have tits on the internet now? They have tits on the internet. They got one of those porn star shirts. And he should have, he should have been more respectful to Xander, who could have been his pornography hookup. Or maybe he tried to go to Xander at first and Xander was like, sorry, bro, only skateboards. <laughs> I only wear this shirt, but it's not for me. I wear this shirt that clearly labels me a porn star so that you know I skateboard. <laughs> The shirt is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so a thing that happens a lot in this episode is in between scenes or transitioning or whatever, we see these minor characters, these throwaway characters walk by lamenting about their technological woes. Mm -hmm. And we pass this like, he looks like a beefcake from a World War II propaganda poster. <laughs> and I love him. And he's he's working on a laptop that's like an absolute tank. It's like 15 pounds. And and he's saying, Nazi Germany is the model of a well-ordered society? Who's been on my files? And I love it. I love him. Maybe the bar is just very low in 2020. Yeah. But I just, I really appreciate a clean-cut white man who is vocally anti-Nazi. Uh, he's, he's, he's against Nazis and he's not afraid to say it. Bold. Yeah, bold. <laughs> Ooh, this has gone dark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's go back to the to the fun episode where Fitz <laughs> is is literally carving an M into his wrist with some sort of auxiliary cable and yes. repeating to himself, I'm jacked in. I'm jacked <laughs> in. I'm jacked in. And you wondered what he was getting out of the situation. Jacked in. I really wish he was carving into his wrist like <laughs> A very crude <laughs> rendering of the porno that Malcolm provided for him. <laughs> Just like a very crude boob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the porn star now? Yeah, that would have been <laughs> pretty good. So he's carving carving his, his carving in the initials of his porn provider and <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the girls are fighting. So this was a stake through your heart, yes? It was. It was. I just didn't like it. I, I didn't I didn't like it. And I understand obviously Buffy's coming from a good place, but you know, she, she's she's a little she's a little shallow. She's she won't let her friend date the demon. What if he's a really good demon? We don't know if he's a bad demon yet. Yeah, at this point we don't know if he's bad. Well, he did kill Carlo, so maybe like a little bad. I mean, maybe he has a past, but so does Angel. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm on board now. Exactly. All right. But I mean, Buffy doesn't know that he's bad yet. Yeah. But she does see that Willow's behavior is unhealthy yes. because she is skipping class and sort of like abandoning her friends and diving full, all consumingly into this new relationship. 
that is, again, not on brand with what we know of Willow. So the concern is definitely rooted in, like, genuine love. Yes, the concern comes from a right, the right place. And I think this scene, I really felt for Willow in it because the way she interprets Buffy's concern is not necessarily that her behavior is abnormal. She interprets it as an attack on her validity as a romantic partner. Yeah, that was a stake through my heart. Imagine if Willow had gone to one of our high schools. The trauma would have been far worse. I mean, we went to our high school, so <laughs> it's pretty much the same thing. Nothing to see here, folks. Yep. You and your Blink-182. Take off your pants and jack in. <laughs> so we we see the actual demon getting in between our girls, and then we also see that Dave has also been incepted. And then that's when I was like, no, these brooding white boys are making me nervous. No, 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 no. I was getting nervous then because, uh, you know, Malcolm tried to conscript Fritz into killing Buff, which, you know, <laughs> good luck. I just want to point out before we descend to these rude boys and their antics, I really liked how Buffy tries to be a detective while clearly not knowing a lot about computers. Yeah. Because at this point, computers were still exclusively for nerds. Yeah. <laughs> She's not in your book. Oh. Oof. <laughs> that was jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> Buffy tails Dave, and mm -hmm. he goes to a computer research facility. And we know it's a computer research facility because Xander's uncle mm. used to work there as janitor. And there was a lot of focus on destiny and what you are destined to become in this show and mostly it's aimed at Buffy but I think also one of Xander's main struggles in this show is that he feels like because he comes from a family of people who he feels like aren't successful and like he and the show don't really treat as successful even though there is really nothing shameful or to be looked down upon about being a janitor. Xander seems to feel like there is and I think that's like knowing that he is not exceptional and he comes from a line of what he feels are unexceptional people is something he's really struggling against in this yeah. show as it goes on. I think that's a really important insight to have because underneath all of his commentary and a lot of the more like annoying character traits that they give him, like there's deep insecurity and mm -hmm. it stems from the fact that like Here's Buffy, who is quite literally a chosen one. Here is Willow, who's so smart and loved, you know, and, and just is really also personally contented for the most part in, like, her relationships and things of that nature. And then you have Xander, who's, like, so deeply just, like, has such deep discontent with his interpersonal relationships, his expectations for himself and his future. And, like, and, and yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And I, I know that you've mentioned that they do delve into that with his family further. Is it a story that has been told many times, maybe at the expense of other stories? Yes. But I do feel like maybe it's because of when I saw it. I really like the way they tell Xander's story, even if he as a character is flawed. Yeah. And it has been told many times, but it's still a valid story. Yeah. Aw. Xander. Xander, my mander. My porn star. <laughs> my emotional core porn star. <laughs> Then we have that scene where Willow catches Malcolm in his own lie. Yes. And they're chatting on a sort of like proto AOL instant messenger. Mm -hmm. But they have him read out the text in his <laughs> robot voice. <laughs> they couldn't have done his Italian voice. They could give him like a slight Italian accent. <laughs> Melissa, do it. Do it. I want to hear it. Buffy is up to no good. I love you. Here is my metal dong. That's his, his first <laughs> seduction attempt. Now say it with an Italian accent. Willow, mi amore. Buffy is up to no good. Please view my uh, Italian pepperonis. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. You could be a voice actress. I'm going to cut this out. That was... <laughs> I'm sorry to the country of Italy, to everyone who has ever lived or visited. You couldn't have gone with Malcolm's Mortadella for the alliteration? My gabagools. <laughs> wow. Wow. You're, you know, we're really lucky Malcolm wasn't Chinese. Oh, God. 
uh, can I tell you, my, my parents are immigrants from India, and they're very intelligent, and they're very thoughtful people. I'm very, very lucky to be raised by them. And one of their favorite movies of all time is My Cousin Vinny. You know, I've never seen My Cousin Vinny. My Cousin Vinny is truly a feat. This is the one where there's a, a dead person. No, that's Weekend at Bernie's. No, Good continue. <laughs> Vinny, sorry, Bernie. It's just a disgrace <laughs> to the Italian. You have been disinvited to the St. Columbus feast. My Cousin Vinny is about a young Italian-American and a boy and another Italian-American young man, two young men who get framed for a murder in the deep south it's very genteel it's very different from the italian american culture of new york specifically brooklyn and it really makes you ponder on the diversity of america like this too is america from this from the southern genteel whites of the deep south to the italian american community of brooklyn this too is white america we contain multitudes. Truly, truly. Yeah. Everyone go watch My Cousin Vinny. My parents love it. If you would like to borrow the DVD, it's one of the four DVDs that we own, including uh, the box set of The Lord of the Rings. Wow. Yeah. A yeah. family of taste. <laughs> so Italian-American culture is very is very important to me. And, and of course, to me. That's why I'm always very respectful. <laughs> so we're back into the Jenny Rupert dynamic. I love it. It's unnecessary conflict, but it works. Miss Calendar calls out how classist he's being. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I really appreciate that they do this actually because information and access to information is an inherently political thing. And I don't think I've ever seen it mentioned really on any other TV show. I don't think that when I was that age, I would have thought really critically about the communication and commodification of information as political and definitely bringing it up as exclusionary to frame it as only one sort of way of access at that age would have been like really profound. Yeah. And I, I think that at this point in time, there was a fear that like, maybe librarians would be obsolete or, you know, would people still need these collections of physical objects that need to be tended to or whatever. So he's also fighting for his livelihood in a way and also like a huge cultural shift that makes him nervous and like all this other stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I think we can infer from the way he interacts with Buffy and from the way that he used to work at the British Museum, that he has a more traditional view mm -hmm. of, of things. And mm -hmm. I like that Miss Calendar is more radical. Yeah, and it's more egalitarian. Like, he has yeah. a very, very uh, rarefied way of accessing information. Like, not all of us can go to the British Museum. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're on opposing sides of, of this, like, regarding their livelihood, right? Because mm -hmm. Giles is becoming obsolete. Miss Calendar, as a computer teacher, the world mm -hmm. is her oyster at the beginning of this technological revolution. So, you know, their whole lives are at odds at this point. What an interesting storyline to pick up on as you, as you get older, because I doubt you picked this up when you were small. But now thinking no. about it is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, of course, now, clearly, this town is big enough for the two of us, but there really wasn't that knowledge yet at this point. Or at least I I know that my parents were concerned about it, I think. Yeah. So yeah, so now we are back to the Rude Boys, and they are trying to electrocute our girl, Rude. Nothing good ever happens in that locker room. <laughs> no, no. It's a place where athletes foot and potential trauma breeds. Just... Fungus and electrocution everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the fungus that is Fritz tries to hurt our girl, but then Rude Boy Dave helps, and he's been downgraded to Helpful Boy Dave. So appreciate that. Reformed Rude Boy Dave. Reformed Rude Boy Dave. Yes, yes, yes. We reformed him. And then Dave begins to, begins to have a change of heart, which is not good for him because it's the last thing he'll do. Yeah, the show is not uncomfortable with offing people. I, I learned this now, uh, eight episodes in, that uh, it doesn't matter if you are a principal or a pig. Or even if you if you complete your character arc, 
and and you're a good guy now. They'll still kill you. Yes. Yeah, so Dave Dave gets offed in a pretty pretty bad way. So that's scary. This experience would have made me like a luddite. Like I would have just thrown away my computer. No. You would have just hard Gilesed it. I would have. I would have. I would have Rupert it. Giles is right. Computers are bad. I think if we can learn anything from this, it's that you should never love and that computers are bad. Before we move forward, I do think we should explain the line that is said by Xander when they're trying to find Willow. It wasn't busy either, so she's not online. So, young people. Gather round. Once upon a time, the internet was through the phone, and you had dial-up. Also, you had landlines, pre-cell phones. Oh, excuse me, that's right. We had landlines, and we had dial-up internet, and unless you were... (laughs) A literal one percenter. You usually had one landline and therefore it caused a lot of tension in your family when you were just trying to download one song off LimeWire for about three hours and your parents had to make a phone call. That was life back in 1997. Ugh. So our girl Willow has ascertained that Malcolm is up to no good. He's a deadly and seductive demon. Just like me. Promises of love, power, knowledge. Woo. I, I get it. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to, but I get it. Knowledge, power, <laughs> love, besos. Is that what it is in Italian too? I think so. It's it's Italian is all like Spanish, but a little drunk. <laughs> you should definitely say that to an Italian person. Italian people are also a little drunk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where where are we? I'm all, all where are we in the storyline? Giles is researching in the library and he calls Miss Callender in, but the radio's on in the background and it's listing a bunch of computer-related crimes. I think we can assume sex crimes. At the very least, sexy crimes. (laughs) (laughs) Passionate crimes. Crimes of passion, yes. Crimes of passion, sexy crimes, you know. You know how how he does. Powerful and seductive. What's his deal? Is he like single or like what? Catfish me. Catfish me. (laughs) Y'all know I'm home. We're all home. (laughs) What an honor to be catfished by Malcolm. Statistically speaking, I think most of us would have been. (laughs) It's not the quantity of catfishing. It's the quality. It's the quality of the dick pic, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... I think we get to one of the best scenes in the episode when initially I was like, oh, shit, Jenny's bad. Jenny's bad. She knows something. And then we discover she's a witch. Not really. She's a techno pagan. And once again, I must ask, what is the recruitment policy of this public high school? I must know. They are located on top of a hellmouth where mystical energy naturally converges. So, like, I understand why Miss Calendar is there, because she's probably in tune with mystical energies in some form or fashion. You can tell by her hair and the patterns on her chaotic shirts. <laughs> I I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I just think she's a great character. I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we go from the school to the warehouse where Xander's uh, uncle used to work, the tech warehouse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we meet Transformer Moloch, and I just thought he was kind of cute. Uh, yeah, a little boxy. So, so wait, so if you were catfished by Moloch, <laughs> uh-huh. and then and then Fritz escorted you gentlemanly to <laughs> to CRD warehouse, and then you saw him and he was in his little robot body, mm-hmm. would you be like, yes or no? Uh, I think at the beginning of 2020, I would have said no. And I think at the end, I'm like, well, is he hiring? Are you taking girlfriend <laughs> applications, sir? <laughs> yeah, check this cover letter out, baby. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the futurism is perhaps more appealing than the curly cosplay of the 14th century or whatever. Yeah, I'm not saying I would have dated him when he had the little curly Q <laughs> horns. I mean, I wouldn't date a deer. Like, it takes more than just horns. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't date, like, a box. Like, it was. it's more like, yeah, you know, like, some technology is cute. Like, it's cute. It's designed yeah. to be aesthetically a pleasing. <laughs> like, like the Italians, let's say, a pleasing. <laughs> it's a pleasing. 
Um, Simpatico. So Transformer, Transformer Moloch is, in, so initially he's cute, but then he gets really scary because he just offs Fritz. Like, again, the show plays fast and loose with life. I understand where it's coming from in terms of, like, from Mollusk's point of view, because mm-hmm. he has hoes in literally every area code, <laughs> so he can just, like, call the next one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> wow, like, what's his deal? <laughs> Sign me up. So. You know, Moloch is tracking all the systems, very Matrix, and then all of the kids are together. And I just, I love when the Slayerettes just band together. I just think it's really sweet. It's really charming when, like, they're all united against a common enemy. I also think Xander really redeems himself in this episode from last episode's poor behavior, except for in the beginning where he's kind of, it shows him taking Willow for granted. Mm. But I think the show gives him his comeuppance later when Buffy calls him out on just liking the attention and not really being into her. I think he has done a really good job sticking up for his friend Willow in Mm -hmm. in a way that isn't like, creepy or or weird or like he's not expecting her to be in love with him afterwards again yeah which is nice because i think he sort of goes that way with buffy a little bit but like with willow he's nice and normal yeah he gets to punch someone he does he came in with knowledge about crd i think he really pulls his weight in this episode good xander episode yeah, definitely. He he has nowhere to go but up from the porn star shirt. So yes, <laughs> that is true. I forgot about the porn star shirt. How easily you forget my emotional core. <laughs> Look, he's just really good at skateboarding. Okay. <laughs> Man, the '90s were so weird. Like that was a viable brand. Yeah, yeah. In that music video, David Duchovny, "Why Won't You Love Me," there is someone wearing a porn star shirt. And I don't know who it is, some <laughs> 90s celebrity. And I just assumed that it was a porn star. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. Very literal. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pre-irony time. <laughs> I mean, like, that's helpful. If I wanted to look her up on pornstar.com or something. <laughs> Wankipedia. That's <laughs> <laughs> eh, well, fine. Uh, again... I always love an episode when Buffy uses her prodigious brawn and brain. I love it. And I just love that she got this toxic demon to destroy himself. What a metaphor. Yeah, I love that they gave Willow the book smarts. They gave Buffy the street smarts. Xander has no smarts. (laughs) You know what? He was there. And sometimes that's enough. Yeah, you just got to show up for your friends. Yeah. But I loved, I loved how they took him down. I loved it. He was bound to his robot body, which means he can no longer access the internet. So he would have to be faithful to you and only you, unless he like logged on with his robot body to a normal computer. God. Did you say hot? I said, no, I said God. Hot. <laughs> it's just, it's just, there's just so much to like really think through these days. Traditional Christian monogamy was not something he brought from the 14th century. No, 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 no. And he wasn't doing it in the 14th century either because he killed Carlo in front of like four other dudes. (laughs) So like I can only assume there were multiple catfishings happening then too. Moloch fucks. Moloch fucks. (laughs) So we have a final conversation between Giles and Liz Carpenter. They come to an understanding where it's it's not necessarily that Giles is trying to be elitist. He just has a bunch of like smell of old books feelings. A lot of people really enjoy the um, the monologue that Giles has here about how books are special and meaningful and how they yeah. have a special smell. I mean, like, obviously that resonates with a lot of people. So I'm glad mm-hmm. they have it in there. Yeah. But. I'm team Jenny. Team Liz. Team Liz. Team, just team. Just, it's just nice, it's just nice to be on a team. One of the pack. Jacked in. And then a real, a real letdown from that beautiful speech was the end. Because it just made me sad. Well, yeah. But also, haven't we all had our share of, uh, of dating demons? I like that they have this to bond over. And I also do wonder... Does anyone in Sunnydale have a normal relationship? I get that they're closer to the forces of darkness than maybe another student, but like 
surely they can't be the only ones who are bumping into demons in this crazy mixed up hellmouth town. I definitely think it is not conducive for healthy relationships. I'm not pro dating demon. I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering if it's exclusively them. Like if you were just a random student mm. at at Sunnydale High, chances are you would bump into a demon at some point just because the the population is so large there of demonic beings. Got to kiss a lot of frogs. Got to kiss a lot of a lot of hell frogs. Got to kiss a lot of hell frogs. And on that, shall we rate the episode? Yeah, let's rate the episode. What do you think? Honestly, medium high stakes. I really liked it. I know this was a throwaway episode, but I really liked it. I'm going to give it a medium. Medium to high because Jenny Calendar showed up for the first time. Exactly. I think medium to high because I think it was a very good, like, even though it was a, you know, one-off, it was a very satisfying story from start to finish. I think that the themes that you brought up, especially about information, really made it a much more thoughtful episode than what I initially thought. And also... My girl, Jenny. You remembered her name. I did. I'm so proud. What a journey we've been on. It only took watching the episode and then two recordings. I'll always get there. It just may take me some time. To Moloch, if you're listening, you know, DM me. We're around. What else are we doing? Literally always around. Yeah, slide into our DMs if you want to catfish us. We are receptive. Willing and able to be catfished. And on that note, bye, y'all. Arrivederci. (laughs) Ciao. Oh, man. Thanks for listening to another fantastic episode of Big Mistake. If you have any messages for us, or if the apocalypse comes, beep us at BigMistakePod on Twitter and Instagram or at BigMistake at gmail.com. That's B-I-G-M-I-S-S-S-T-A-K-E. Catch you at the Brahms.